Okay, I think we're on the air. Let me see. Yeah. I think talk. Yes. Say Connor. Connor. Is. Hard-boiled. Hard-boiled. <laughs> okay, I think we are on the air, but I'm not positive. It's I'd red. like to be positive. Okay. It's red. I think I'm positive. It's red? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that does it. Well, it's all coming from here, though. I think we're on the air. DS106 Radio, we are on the air. Thank you for the stream, Leslie, if that was you. And I do have something for you. I'll get it to you shortly. Okay. We have some of the class here, but not nearly enough to do what we need to do. Because what are we going to start the class off with? Nothing. It's not true. The class will not start with nothing because, as King Lear says, Heads up 7 Nothing comes (laughs) of nothing. And we will not play a game. Let me just get a quick... A quick heads up here. How does heads up seven up work? Is that when you got on top of the desk? No, it's when you put your head down and put your thumb up. And then someone would push it and then you'd have to guess who pushed your thumb. Okay. We had something that was a really cool game. I don't know if it was it was like that. But we all so we had these independent desks in elementary school. And we would sit on top of the desks, each of us, and we would have a ball, a tennis ball. And we would throw it around and if you dropped the ball you were out. You played that? What was that called? Sounds so dangerous. Speedball? Little kids. It had some vernacular. It it does seem dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't that seem dangerous? Like you wouldn't do it? Like you could see some school lawyer come around. That's a lawsuit. It is. Yeah, but we used to do that. Absolutely. We have a full house in Hard Boiled tonight. I'm really happy to have all of you here tonight. What's that? I'm so glad to have almost all of you here tonight. Are we missing? Sarah. 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 She'll be here, I'm sure. Um, but we had a couple of things to accomplish tonight. A few things to accomplish tonight. Sarah. So one of the things is. We're going to actually, each group is going to give us a quick review of where they're at with the Wikipedia research. I'm working with Susanna on our research, so we'll talk about ours last. But we want you guys to go first. We're doing double indemnity. Some of you actually are doing indemnity only. Cotton comes to Harlem, so recent stuff, and then the glass key. So we're going to look at that, and we're going to be doing that every Tuesday until the end of the semester. And then we're going to look at these articles finals week, as well as have a final exam. Any questions about that? I have a question. Yeah. Do we have class next Tuesday? Do we have class next Tuesday? Absolutely. Okay. No Thanksgiving. Excuse me. Oh, wait, that's I'm surprised. Yeah. No, we don't have class on Thanksgiving. You don't have to come. I would, if it were up to me, you would have to come. <laughs> what break is only Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? It's yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. How many of you are not planning to come to class on Tuesday night? Just kidding. Can you help yeah. me <laughs> oh my god. I might actually not be Can we do a, a What's that? Yes. Let's do Viva. Okay, if you, if you have a problem, talk to me. Now look, if you want to get creative, and there is something where people do have to go, we can come up. Look, I'm a man of resources. We Let's can come up with alternatives. Chat. Okay. <coughs> no, Skype. Skype. Uvu. It's got to be more fun than that. Right? I think that's great. Because we can finally see Paul Bond. 
We could finally do a Bond, or we have to talk about Paul Bond. Oh my Bond. gosh, I, realize I think he, he commented on my blog. Paul Bond? I think so, nothing. unless there's another Paul that we know of. No, my heart melted so a little bit. <laughs> 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 well, no. Paul Bond, I mean, did you guys read his post about um, no. his no. comment? <laughs> 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 I used to like some of you. Um, followed you followed him on Twitter. No, you did not. And I liked, I liked your comment on Twitter about the, I think every blog should have a trailer, and I think your blog should have trailers. Uh, did you mention about my Baba Tuesday yeah, trailer? I was just really fed up with you. You were fed up with me? <laughs> we'll get used to it. It's not I over yet. I was just trying to be like, funny and joke around with you, and then you like, yelled at me on Twitter. What did I yell at you on Twitter? Days She's ago. just really sensitive. What did I say to you on Twitter? Okay, I hold on. We have to have a moment here. <laughs> We're on the radio, so if you have really bad things to say about my teaching style, save it for off the radio. I'm no, kidding. I, what did I say? Well, because you said vlogger be blogged, and I was like, how do you be blogged? And you're like, you're about to find out. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of bombastic, yeah, right? I like, to Sarah's room and cry. You did? No. no okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was pretty bombastic. Blog or B-blog doesn't mean anything, right? You're about to find out. <laughs> <laughs> You're about to find out. I mean, if I'm not following you all, like, you know, spiral into madness on Twitter, I'm making some sort of faux pas. Um, but no, I didn't. I hope that you are kidding. That you really did. Okay, good. She was pretty upset about it, though. Sarah, that wasn't helpful. <laughs> <laughs> At this stage in the class, that's not helpful. Just you know. Okay, good. Well, I didn't mean anything by it. See? It's always the smallest cuts that hurt the most, isn't it? Those paper cuts. All right. As I was saying, though, before you all got emo on me, <laughs> and you didn't realize that, you know. Small cuts. Small cuts. Paper cuts. They won't hurt, but they'll leave a scar. Physically. Pain-wise. Right, Jessica? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in rare form today, so you either have to deal with me or not. I, it's up to you. Couple of things. Paul Bond brought up in his comment on my black capitalism post that no one commented on in this class. I'll point out. I actually commented on your blogs, funny enough. And for some reason, you feel no obligation to comment on mine. Which... What is what keeps me up at night and makes me cry, mm -hmm. Jillian? You'll know. That's when I cry, is I don't get that comment. Okay. What do you say to your wife when she asks you what you're crying about? <laughs> <laughs> I usually do it very late at night, and usually in a dark room, going no around. Okay. And if she comes in, I'm like, nothing, honey, I just got something in my eye! <laughs> It's fine though. I, I'm just, just leave for a second. <laughs> just leave for a second. Okay. Anyway, yeah, the end of the semester is coming. Um, you're almost free. But more seriously, Paul Bond made a really a good couple of points, as he usually does. And I usually start every class talking about Paul Bond, and he is a real person. Um, he actually pointed out a couple of things. One idea of the Back to Africa and the Back to the South movement as being almost mirror images of each other. And possibly one of the reasons why Ozzie Davis didn't, because that was a question for me, is why was the colonel completely gone? You guys talked about the fight between Iris and Mabel and how that was very different in the book and the movie. And the question of the humor in the book versus the movie is a really good one. The book, the movie does come across as a lot funnier than the book. Although I agree with you, Maureen, there's some really funny moments in the book you can't overlook. Um, 
But a big thing about the book versus the movie is the absence of the colonel. He comes in blackface at some weird moment. But the colonel, is the colonel even the colonel? Is there any mention of Back to the South? None. It's completely gone. And one of the reasons Paul argues, and I think it's a good one, is it almost seems like the Back to the South argument in Harlem would have been met with violent reaction at the time. And this idea of moving back or going back anywhere is something that, you know, is not interesting or compelling, either for Davis, but also for, I would, he argues, Himes. You know, where does Himes ultimately go to live? Do we know anything about his biography? Something like France. Or France. Like Richard Wright, he leaves the U.S. Like Hemingway. Like Hemingway. And he doesn't stay, which is interesting when you think about Himes for a moment. He doesn't stay in, the Amer in America to deal with those racial struggles. He actually leaves to escape them to some degree. And so there's this idea of not returning um, and not looking back. That's interesting. And I think Paul Bond really did a nice job of kind of all that. The other thing is black capitalism, right? That whole scene in, in Cotton Comes to Harlem with black capitalism fascinated me because this idea of holding it up. And Paul Bond suggested and pointed to a phrase in one of James Brown, The Godfather of Soul, where he's talking about black capitalism. Black capitalism was a whole movement in the 60s that people kind of got behind. So there's so much really there with um, Cotton Comes to Harlem, but also with black exploitation. As a result, I got the Mac, I got Superfly. Have any of you seen the black exploitation films? If you haven't, take some time out of your very busy schedules over the break when you're done and watch some of these films. They're amazing. Shaft, um, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, Superfly, The Mac, Dolomite, right? You name it. There's a ton. Foxy Brown, Coffee, right? How many of you have seen um, Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown? Pam Greer. No one has seen Pam? Really? That's, you haven't seen uh, I haven't even heard of it. I'm a Tarantino fan. Yeah, <laughs> Tyler Perry, really? I'm talking about Tarantino, right? <laughs> Not Tyler Perry. Who's Tyler Perry? <laughs> Medea, man. I don't know Tyler Perry, but we're not going to get into this again. Point being is, Tarantino made a film, Jackie Brown, which is really an homage in some ways to black exploitation, particularly the main character, Pam Greer, who was a main figure in a lot of these um, black exploitation films. Coffee Brown, Friday Foster, etc. Um, Coffee, Friday Foster, etc. So, check them out. It's great stuff. And, you know, Cotton Comes to Harlem is a is a work we leave behind, but in some ways, sadly. But there's a lot to talk about with this little gem. And I love this book, right? We've talked about this, Lauren, and I really like how Paretsky kind of gets us up into the 70s and 80s. I mean, here's a, a private eye that's exercising, that's worried about certain things like what she eats, she's wearing, um, but as hard-boiled as anyone we've seen yet. So there's this kind of fascinating kind of space in which we introduce the 80s and the late 70s. And I want you all to do similar to what you did for the 60s. She did a blog about the 70s. What's happened? This is 79 when she's writing this. What's going on in 79? Anyone off the top of their head? They just made a movie about one big thing that was happening starring Elvis Ben died Affleck. In 77. What's that? Elvis died in 77. Argo. Elvis died in 77. Argo. What is Argo about? Uh, is it a journalist that got taken hostage? Iranian MC, Iran hostage, right? 1979, that was the big issue. Many people think that Carter lost his presidency around. But there was also inflation. 
We also move into a moment of the 80s, the Reagan 80s. And there's still this idea in the air about labor unions. Remember those things? Those cute little things? Labor unions that no one believes in anymore unless you're from New York City. So there's a kind of very interesting moment you capture. There's also the moments on the University of Chicago campus. Remember that? We'll talk about that in some depth. So we have a lot to talk about. This is an awesome novel. Um, and it really kind of brings us up uh, to the 80s. And then we're going to take a huge jump back, um, back to the 40s, but written from the 80s perspective with James Elroy, who is maybe my favorite writer that we're going to read this semester. I mean, the most insane in some ways. Um, okay. That said, what do we have to do to start the class off? Presentations. You say that with so much enthusiasm. This is where I get to rip you apart if you haven't done what I've asked. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So, group, who am I going to pick? Okay, the glass key group. I want you to get on here, log into your Gmail, show us your Google, um, your, uh, Google Doc, and let us know where you're at. Okay? Glass key group, up. I'll move out. And Are you, like, on all of I'm on all of them, but I'm not well, part of the group. The group is going to present. But can we just use your yeah. one Gmail to get all of our docs? Oh, yeah. You could. <laughs> Simplicity. Don't pick on me, Chancy. Just because you got a haircut two weeks ago. <laughs> just because you got And yes, I did notice that you got a haircut two weeks ago. I just didn't want to say anything. Until two weeks later. Yeah. <laughs> You have a lot to say tonight, don't you? What a <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> of course. It's like oh my gosh, you should have seen her last Well, you're the, so one, last you're the one who almost made me cry on Twitter. Because I was like, Connor's still alive, like trying to make a joke, not realizing how to deal with you. <laughs> and you're like, not. apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> and I could see <laughs> the like. I still had it heard from him though. But I could see the anger and the like, are you kidding me? You're a professor and you're bothering <laughs> no, me. No, no, what? That was definitely towards Connor, not you, I okay. promise. All right, I'm a big fan anyway. Okay. All right, so you all can come here and stop. Stop. So, glass key group. There's no hiding. I'm in glass key group, but I'm in the glass. I don't even know you guys. Thank you. No. I sent you uh, an email in the text. I'm going to sit in your chair. Anyway, I, I sent you the stuff like 20 minutes before. No, it's uh, on here. The class. Did you no go? Yeah, 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 you go. Thanks, God. Okay. Um, this is our Google Doc. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. I can feel the scathing as you talk. Um, we... Look at that. I thought your your summary, I went in and read, I thought it was excellent. Yes, this was thanks to Leo. Hey. This was his <laughs> lovely summary. We might have to cut it down a bit, but it's excellent. Um, oh my god, they worked on it for hours and hours. <laughs> and you want to cut it down? It's my master. <laughs> <laughs> I remember everything. Every little detail. It's oh more. God. It's more than in a book, you know what? <laughs> Dostoevsky, slow down. This is not great 19th century Russian literature. This is hardcore. <laughs> it's great. It's quite hardcore. You can just read it and you will see, like, and he killed him, and she killed him, and he killed her. <laughs> I was quite hardball. I didn't. I wasn't sensitive about it at all. So, I know. <laughs> that's awesome. 
What we'll do though, Leo, is we'll go in there and maybe sharpen it and make it tighter. But I think it's excellent. It's a great stock. Okay. Um, and then this is our initial <laughs> research. Good. Um, so we split it into the four different sections. Um, and then this is just some like initial. I was just okay. doing the colors to for the bibliography. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but so this is just like I found an article talking about um, some of Hammett's work and just like how it impacted other works. Good. Um, so this kind of has to do with different movies that were inspired by it, like the Coen Brothers film, um, which was then an inspiration for a samurai film, which was kind of surprising. Yeah, yeah Jimbo, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then that was in turn an inspiration for like a western type of movie which kind of made that bridge between western and hard-boiled one of the greatest 60s westerns the good bad and ugly and it was actually made by a italian director sergio leone you have a great lineage and legacy there and i think that's a that's an awesome way to start what you want to do now and this is what wikipedia kind of demands of us you have this we have to start citing our sources so where did you find out a the relationship between red harvest and glass key and then kind of build in, because I bet you you have scholars who have written about every one of those. So your job now is to go in and find some of that to kind of back it up. I have the bibliography for, like, this particular article that I was Awesome. Reading. And then you have one, but see if you can find others yeah. to back each of them up, right? It's always helpful to have more than one resource. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Great. Okay. That's so great. That's where Sarah's at. What about the rest of the group? I see here, and we I won't look. This is not, I'm not going to, this is not putting you through the rack. This is what I'm thinking. So Jess, you're going to be working on the themes. Um, Susanna and I have done some research, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But one of the things I found, Connor, and this is going to be interesting for both you and for you, Jess, is um, finding the critical reception of the time. It hasn't been that apparent for me with Double Indemnity. We're working on that, and I don't know if you've made, we'll talk about that, if you've made more progress on that. But we went through to find out how it was received at the moment. So see what you can find on that. But that's going to be um, some pretty much detective work in the library to figure that out. Same with themes. And that's going to come from people who wrote about this. So themes, in many ways, ties into legacy, but also ties into the academic tradition around this book. Who's written about it? What major themes? Are they talking about existentialism? Are they talking about violence in 20th century culture? I read one article about luck. About luck. Awesome. So find some of those articles make a series of them, and then start building that idea of the themes based on what scholars are saying about that. You know, and you don't have to limit it to scholars. You and Connor could be working closely, or you and Sarah could be working closely on that, because those things are going to kind of reiterate. Jillian writing style, right? Probably a lot being said about um, Hammett's writing style. Oh, yeah. A ton written about it. So, okay, good. <laughs> I will not bother you today. And you've started with the plot summary. Now, yeah, I actually finished it. If you want, I can <laughs> yeah. No, you've Change started it. It's not finished yet. <laughs> Never finished. Ah. Now, that's ah. why it's a Wikipedia article. The other thing is this. I want each of you to take close notes about what you're doing and how you're doing it. And hopefully there's going to be a, a three to five page paper you'll write using some of the research you've done about, say, the legacy of the glass key and this. Or, say, about themes in the glass key or about the critical reception at the time. Does that make sense? And you can work off of each other's research, you know, share it. But this is a great start. 
where are we going to be next? When I talk to you next Tuesday night, because we'll be here, where will you be? I'd like to see Jess, Connor, and Jillian fill out their sections. And I'd like each of you to at least have four sources for your part. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Excluding you, Leo, obviously. You're going to help them with their research because you don't need sources for the plot summary. Okay. okay? Fine. Uh, so tell me, please, what kind of length do you, do you expect uh, my summary to be? No, your plot summary, I'm going to go in there and, and I'm going to help you edit it, but we'll talk oh, okay. about that. There's no one length, but I think there's some places where, like the hard-boiled st style, sometimes if plot summaries go on too long, Wikipedia will say this is way too long, too much detail. Break it down, right? And they want it anywhere from two to three paragraphs. You know, They don't want a dissertation about the plot. So that's something we're going to have to negotiate once we get to Wikipedia. Okay. okay? Make sense? Yeah. Okay, good. Good start class, key group. Excellent. <laughs> now, I'll expect all the rest of you for resources, and we're going to look at this document, and it should be growing beautifully, like a cultivated garden. Okay. Cotton comes to Harlem. Cotton comes to Harlem group. Moral sense of Okay, who else is in this group? Sarah? Yeah. yeah. Where did okay. she go? Alright, so um, initially we went through here and like made like an outline of like what everything we needed, starting like plot summary, themes, publication history, critical reception, film adaptation, and like everything that a Wikipedia article would have. And um, I just went through today and added in like a brief character list of like the important characters and why they're important and where they come in to the novel. Um, Maureen did a pretty good job of making like a plot summary, putting it in paragraph form, like writing it out. Um, it's about four or five paragraphs. Yeah, long. I actually read through that. It is good. Um, and then I wrote down a couple themes that have come up in like our discussions and in the novel, and then like what we need to do for the rest of it. So good. So and let's um, I also have a couple of articles down here. Um, the first one is about black women and two different books, and one of them is Cotton Comes to Harlem, so I figured that would come like major under one of the themes. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and this one is about the film, but it's adapting the film to like an interracial conflict, so I figured that would be a good one to do. That could be really useful, absolutely. And then the last two are just like profiles of Chester Himes and about his stories. Good. Here's a good point. Right there, you, and you brought up the point, Jess, so I won't have to, Jesse, so I won't have to re kind of enforce it, but a lot of those themes, that area with themes, that area with critical reception of the book at the time, which I'd also be very interested for this, is going to come in with those scholarly articles. The critical reception, as Connor will find out when you're doing it for um, Glass Key, but even for this, is you're going to have to go out and find what did people say at the time, as soon as this book came out. But the other thing is, what are scholars saying about it after the fact? And that's where that themes will develop. And so, in order for that themes, you have a lot of great themes. The only question of gender, um, there's going to be a question of race, obviously, the 60s, countercultural movement, civil rights, things we've talked about. So you're going to have to start doing some digging. It won't all be books, articles, and stuff. Start finding who wrote what about Chester Himes in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and today. And that themes part is going to be developing out the critical reception and thinking about this book over time. That's where a lot of your research is going to come, there in the critical reception. I really love what you did with the characters. I think that's great. I, when Wikipedia articles have that, it's extremely useful. So awesome work there. Um, 
you have a beginning of your research, but there's still much more to come. Does that make sense? The other thing is, bring Sarah in the loop. I don't know if she was a part of this article, but I know... The email that she gave me said it was like an invalid email address, so okay. I couldn't add her. So, do you have another email for her? No. Okay, so I'll get you two in touch, so that doesn't... Um, but everybody else, how are we doing? What did you work on with this, Michael? I just got added to it. I gave Jesse the wrong email. Okay. <clears throat> so, you'll be clear. Do I have a clear idea? That's what I want to have, is a clear idea of who's working on what. That's what I don't have an idea. There's been a lot of work done. Maureen did like all of the plot mm -hmm. summary, and then it was her suggestion for the character list, and then I added the character list. Good. So what you might want to do is start hitting the library, you and Sarah, with the uh, critical reception and the themes. And the themes. Sure. Okay? Does that make sense? Yes, sir. So you guys can work together on that, and then we'll come and check this out on... And I'll give you comments over the week, but we'll check it out on Tuesday. Make sense? Cool. Okay? Awesome. Thanks. And also there's stuff being said. Look at Paul Bond's blog, the stuff he's writing about um, this black capitalism, um, how he doesn't deal with this theme. You know, Some of the questions about the colonel are still really interesting to me. And his comment on the Baba Tuesdays is a good one for that. Okay, um, I want to do indemnity only, because we can last, because then we can move smoothly from you guys talking about the research you did to um, the discussion of the book. So, Susanna, come on up. The Hi. double. This is going to be the best, the best Wikipedia group, maybe ever. <laughs> you guys are a tough crowd. Okay. So, here's what we give you an idea of our thinking on this. We've started looking into double indemnity, and so this has been our process so far. Um, here we have the plot summary. I don't know what MEEP is, but our plot summary right now is very meager, still to be delivered. But what we started building into is we started doing a lot of the research about the publication history. This is something I want you all to look at with your books. Turns out that Double Indemnity, the novel, not the movie, actually started out as what? What was it? Oh, uh, eight. Magazine. An eight-part magazine serial. So it actually came out in Liberty Magazine in 36. So it's not very clear when the book itself was first published or how the critical reception came. I mean, it was very well received as part of this magazine. So part of our article, and I think you should all do some research on your respective works, what was the publication history? Was there anything crazy about it? Um, was it released first as a serial? Did it your author really part of it as an article or part of it as a, a chapter of something else and then rework it. That stuff is interesting to know. And it may not be the case. The publication history may be straightforward. But that's actually something uh, we're looking at right now. The reception. Um, anything you want to note about the reception? I can't really find anything. Yeah, we're having problems right now finding work. And this is where we go to the library. And this is why the library is crucial. So we're going and we're looking in more deeply. I spent two hours yesterday, you went in today, and we still haven't been able to find much about the critical reception, either of it in the Liberty as a series of chapters or um, as a book. So as we find more, we'll let you know. Um, the writing style, uh, this is something that, that was pulled by Susanna from a resource here. And this is a quote right now, but obviously we're not going to do the quote. We're going to rework this to talk particularly about Keynes's uh, writing style and we have a whole bunch of articles and something I want to bring to your attention real quickly. There's articles Beating the Boss, Kane's Double Indemnity by John T. Irwin. 
Am I? Can I sit down? Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. Am I dominating too much? Maybe. <laughs> but this, think about this when you find this. This is going to be important for your themes. When you're dealing with themes, where is this article coming from? Is it coming from a book? Is it a scholarly reviewed book? Is it a journal? American Literary History is a well-respected journal. So I know that Wikipedia is going to respond well, and this is a good source, right? Same thing with the Modern Language Quarterly Review. I know that this is a good source, right? And it's interesting. Um, Paula Rabinowitz, this is a review. And reviews of books about the book you're writing about are often very helpful. For example, this one is a review of literature and the invention of the welfare state. And part of the invention of the welfare state, according to this book, has to do with the insurance business. Now, we don't only see the insurance business in double indemnity. Where else does the insurance business come up very big? What's that? What are those, where does insurance come up big, too? Indemnity. Indemnity only, right? Oh. Ajax insurance, right? It's all over there. It's like you have this triangulation between big business labor unions and insurance. And so she's very much aware of this. Paretsky's really pulling into all of these themes. So that's a really interesting theme that we're going to kind of hunt down. The other thing is, there's a book that just was published not too long ago by John T. Irwin, Unless the Threat of Death is Behind Them, Hard-Boiled Fiction and Film Noir. This is a book that talks about basically everything we've read in this class. Hammett, Kane, Highsmith, Chandler, right? And it's a whole book dedicated to how hard-boiled fiction kind of defined a moment in American culture. This is very important for us, particularly given Double Indemnity and James M. Cain. So this is a book that we're going to have to hunt down. And there are several that we're going to have. We're going to have to hunt down the modern welfare state one, too. And Susanna was very excited when I told her that we had to do this. You are going to be educational, scholarshipistic detectives. You understand what I'm saying? You're doing detectives about these books, about the themes, about what people have written about them, about what people have thought about them. This is your sleuthing. You are academic sleuths on a mission to bring to light the lightness and the sweetness of these books on Wikipedia. Does that make sense? Are you convinced now? Do you understand what your mission is? Unbelievable. Okay. <laughs> you are. Okay, another gun. I use these a lot. This is Patrick O'Donnell. Quiet. Patrick O'Donnell. This is another review. This is how I knew Unless the Threat of Death is Behind Them was a useful book. Um, and we have a ton of resources. By now, we have about 15 or 20 resources that we can turn to. And um, Susanna had to leave even before we could talk about this. But these are people linking James M. Cain to naturalism which is a whole literary movement of the 1910s and 20s, often linked very closely to realism, right? So there's a lot we can get about Kane's writing style here. And you guys are going to have to do this. You're going to have to do some literary scholarship. Have to go and see what people said about the writing style of your writer, right? Paretsky, it's going to be interesting to see what you guys find about her because she's a relatively recent writer, and I think a, a very <laughs> underappreciated writer. So part of what you might be doing is kind of unearthing that. So it's interesting. Um, so there's a lot of, ton of stuff. I found 15 to 20 articles, and Susanna found at least 10, and we did it separately for an hour or two. So with five of you on a group, I expect this to be a well-researched and well-documented article. 
the thing that we're doing right now and I want you all to do in your Google Doc before we go to Wikipedia, and we'll go to Wikipedia after Thanksgiving, is I want you to create a bibliography. And in the bibliography, I want you to create a list of sources that you found, alphabetical by author. And so I should see that bibliography within that Google Doc for every group. Right now, ours is dispersed out amongst a whole bunch of tabs in a browser. But like you started to do, Jess, and like I think you guys all started to do with Cotton Comes to Harlem, I want to see, or with, uh, with the glass key, I want to see that stuff in one clean bibliography, and then we're going to talk about bringing it to Wikipedia. Brent. What format is it? Don't worry about that format, because Wikipedia has its own. So it's not going to be like MLA or APA. So just grab the URL? Grab the URL. Do Put all the necessary bibliographical information, like title, author, date published, um, journal, etc and the link to where you found it and when you accessed it. But I'll show you how we do the citations for Wikipedia. Does that make sense? Okay. Any other questions? Is this going to be helpful to kind of keep us going till the end of the semester so that you guys are on track? Every Tuesday, we're going to every Tuesday, we're going to revisit this. Does that make sense? Is this helpful, Sabrina? No, it's not. Why not? That's not very helpful to me. <laughs> Okay, well good, because you're up now with Sarah Poretsky and Indemnity Only, okay? Great. All right, Poretskys. I'll give this to you. So, um, seeing as we only read like half the book, uh, we didn't do too much, but mm -hmm. we've been uh, all working together on the different parts. Um, I think the top part and the plot summary, we're going to combine those to make like a better one, but they're both plot summaries. And um, I'm not sure who did writing styles, but anybody do writing styles? I did. All right. Yeah, we got that. And yeah. Scroll down. There's the mouse. Oh, okay. Thanks for um, Someone also did uh, major themes. Let me gonna get more of those as we read more into the book and I couldn't really get publication dates all I got I looked in the book and just saw copyrights so I was like yeah, yeah but that. when this this version of it at least and we'll talk about her introduction which is interesting this was uh, republished 10 years later as the movie was coming out so it actually was originally published in 1980 it was written in 79 Oops, sorry. alrighty I'll add that um and uh, below this, you can do it, Sabrina. I'm believing you. Oh, good. Um, I started on a character list, and a couple of people have been adding to it. It's kind of uh, like weak right now, but as more characters come into the scene, I'll add them and uh, like beef up the descriptions. Okay. So one of the things I'm going to be interested in this group is going to have to face, and it's going to be interesting, is how much research you can find on this book. And do this sooner than later. So set aside a couple of people, whether they're working on major themes, the critical reception of this book. You know, she talks about the critical reception of her book a little bit in her, uh, or at least how many times she was rejected. But um, there's some interesting, I'm going to be, I want, I'm very interested to see how much you can find scholarly about this book. And if we can't, what other sources can we find? 
What are people saying about it on the blogosphere? What are people saying about it at other spaces, right? So if scholarship doesn't work, if she's still emerging as a kind of figure that scholarship is taking seriously, we need to know that and know that soon. So one of the ways you can add is add the whole idea of the critical reception, right? And she's actually, one of the things she's doing is paying homage to a lot of, she mentions Philip Marlowe. She's paying homage to a lot of different stories within this. And this is kind of the power of what is often called a neo-noir. Right? If noir happened, or if kind of hard boil was in its heyday from the mid-30s to the early mid-50s for that 20-year period, then there's a period at which everything after which is not necessarily a noir. It's a kind of take on the noir. It's what they call a neo-noir. So Blade Runner is a neo-noir. The Big Lebowski is a neo-noir, right? I mean, these are noirs after the fact. <coughs> what, the Bowling movie is a noir. He's a detective trying to find his rug. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. What is it? It is awesome. The Big Lebowski. Oh and that's kind of considered... I just watched like that three times this weekend, man. Really? Seriously. Blade Runner is great. It's a sci-fi So, I mean, noir really has an amazing history, but one of the interesting things of Horetsky that I want you guys to look at is she's obviously kind of coming into this tradition of hard-boiled and more, you know, in the 80s. And from a very particular perspective... I think a really great one. So see who's written about it and do some research on that, and we'll come back and convene on that. But the other one you can, you can build in there is critical reception. The publication history, I'm not sure you look into that more, but that critical reception of that, oh, not then, but then over time, is going to be very key. So what else? I was having technical difficulties with my Google document, uh -huh. and um, but other than that, I was just kind of looking up. <clears throat> I was looking up stuff online, and I was actually kind of looking into like critical reviews and what like bloggers were saying and stuff. Well, yeah, start with the scholarly stuff. If you can't, then move back, and I'll start doing some research too to see. But start that bibliography, right? And what might be useful for this group is break up who's doing what into what. Right? Who's doing the plot summary? Who's working on the characters? You know, share it around, but put someone as a point person for each of them. Send someone to a couple people to the library. You should all be going there, but start doing some research on this. Is that helpful? Mm -hmm. you guys, get you going. It's a good start. Don't worry. Now, as a group, is everyone on the Google Doc? No. No. Okay. So work on that before you leave tonight, and then we're golden. Okay. okay? Make sense? Okay. So we'll update next Tuesday. All right. Jessica, anything to add? Barrage, anything to add? Uh, no. All right. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. I know that might be a little bit bull. Is it really 6.40 already? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. But it's good. We have another. I'm going to take. I'm going to donate half an hour of your time. So we have another 15 minutes. Okay. Good. So. <laughs> right. This class officially ends at what time? 7.15. No. It is 7.15. He says he guesses. Stealing 15 minutes from me. It's 7.15. It's 15. an hour and a half class. We it's an hour 15. Thursday, Tuesday, Thursdays are hour 15 all day long. My calculus is an hour 15. 7.20. No. 7.20. It's not 7.20. This one is a labor dispute. We'll bring it up on Eagle. Yeah, bring it up on Eagle 1. Eagle 1, yeah. Can I bring it up on here? I'm getting my five minutes and I'm getting it back tonight. Okay. Do you want to bring it up? Yeah, bring it up. Good work. Big fan. Okay. What's going on? All right, let's talk about Paretsky in the hour and a half we have left. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Double indemnity. Nah, it's called indemnity only. Don't make that mistake again. Alright. What am I thinking? What did you guys make of the yeah? You search that. Just Google okay. search schedule of courses UMW and it comes up. There you go. It's not seven fifteen, it's seven twenty five. You put money on it? You put money on it. It's seven thirty. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> you put money on it. Okay, hold on. You've been ripping me off time. And if I find out it's seven twenty five, which I think it is, I'm gonna get my ten minutes back. Every single. What if you've been stealing our five minutes though? This is yeah, yeah, we're gonna have to oh. get that back. Let's get a... We'll leave right now if if we're right. Yeah, I'm gonna leave right now. Are you gonna do a walkout? It's actually six forty-two when it ends. What's, Are you what gonna is this do a walkout? American FSM. FSM. Okay, let's see. Seven. Where is it? Go. Is this the current classes? Hard boiled, seven twenty five. No. Oh wait. Yeah. I know what I was doing. I was displacing the two and the five from there. Put the sexy and dyslexic. I did. All right. Anyway, I'll compromise for you. We'll leave at seven twenty. Is that fair? Unbelievable. You're not enjoying your time here? I do. This, this is, is like, who could class. be in coal mines when you're here? Early for all the time you've kept That's what I was saying. Think about all the time you've kept us till 720. Well, do your little presentations and then we can go. All the time. Your little presentations. What? Let me sit down. Well, do your little presentations. That was so rude. No more I, I have been I have been insulted many a time in my day. Okay, I do, and it was the way your hand flapped. <laughs> <You're a little laughs> All right. Well, you know what? Now it's seven thirty officially for the rest of the semester. No, more seriously. No, I need dinner. Okay. <laughs> you can eat here, right? <laughs> more seriously. We are going to meet next, unless I come up with some better, and we'll talk about this Thursday, some better solution. We will meet Tuesday, you know, because I want to talk, that's Elroy. We got one day to talk about Elroy, and then I'm going to come up with something so you can work hard over the, the Thanksgiving break to talk more about Elroy. So that's good. We'll cover that. But I think, let me just imagine how we would do Elroy without classes, and then maybe I'll give you Tuesday as a gift. James Elroy. So let's leave now, and then we'll all come Black Dahlia. We'll all come up. It's amazing. Yeah, that's next week, the Black Dahlia. It's amazing, bro. Don't boo me. It's amazing. It's only one day, though, that we have to talk about. No, but I'm going to figure it out so we can talk about it all week long. I'll actually have you talking about it at your Thanksgiving dinner. I'm going to my grandparents' house where I don't have internet. Just so you can't read. That's not, there's, it's impossible. There's a Starbucks near. There is someone who has, find it. A true detective would find it. Okay, anyway, I'm going to Traditions of my family, they don't let me do text or send emails or something. <laughs> 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 like, they communicate with the outside world. Don't be doing Are you guys committed to your education? You're paying good yeah. money. Uh, for real, that's To learn, <laughs> and I am here to fill you with my thought babies. <laughs> now, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's <laughs> move on. Absolutely, out of that.
I said that at a conference one time, but it was a very different context. You know what I mean? Anyway. Okay, let's move on. The note from, a note from the author. Are we ready? What do you make of Sarah Paresky's introduction to this book? Like, I thought it was the book starting. So, I thought she was, like, the detective. Was this not in the... Uh the original versions, since it says from the 30th anniversary. Yeah, that's the 30th, so that's different. What we have is the 10th anniversary. If you bought this version, there's different versions, I guess, abounding. She writes a new note. Each she <laughs> writes, on New Year's Eve, flush with champagne. Is that how yours starts? I can still remember the October day when V.I. Okay. So we have different introductions, so maybe I won't stress that too hard. What I liked about this introduction, this was from the 1990 print about 10 years after it was made. You have the 30th anniversary. Um, so I'd like to read that one. I haven't read that intro. What I like about this is she actually is one of the few times we hear an author talk about what it means to be an author. She says stuff like, I mean, here's a really good, for me, first of all, it's interesting that she was selling computers and also writing on, on the fly. But this is what really struck me about this one. Whenever I read memories, uh, memoirs of a writer like Sartre, who says he knew from childhood he was destined for words, or Bellow. Do you know who she's talking about when she says Sartre and Bellow? I'm sorry, but I don't know. Who's Sartre? We talked about him. S-A-R-T-E-T-R-E. Jean-Paul. The existentialist, being in nothingness. French. Ah. Yes. Okay, good. Thank you, Leo. <laughs> for at least pretending that you understand. Okay, and Bellow. Who's Bellow? Sal Bellow. The famous Jewish writer, American writer. No known, homeboat skift, won a Nobel Prize. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay. But you know who? What's his name? Tyler Perry is? Unbelievable. How do you live in America and not know who Tyler Perry is? How do you live in America and not know who Sal Bell is? It's the same thing. Maybe I don't live in America. Maybe you don't. <laughs> exactly. You ever um, never maybe you don't. Who knew? He was born to be a performing or interpretive creature. I wonder what unacknowledged voice spoke to them as children. Sartre actually tells us it was his mother and his grandfather who bound his child effusions as novels and passed them with much outspoken pride around the neighborhood without his family creating in him that vision of himself. Young John Paul could not have grown up with such a sense of destiny. His cousins told at the same age they were fated to be engineers uh, and became engineers. I wrote from my earliest childhood, but for myself only, like the heroine of Dreamgirl. I spent vast amounts of my waking hours imagining myself inside different stories. When they acquired some kind of shape, I wrote them down. But I thought my stories were a sign of the sickness afflicting the woman in the play, and that true love would cure me as it did her, for I grew up in a time that, and place where little girls were des destined to be wives and mothers. And that comes up again and again in this novel. I did find true love, but my husband, Courtney White, or Wright, convinced me that my stories were worth telling. That my dreams signaled not sickness, but a lively mind. His support has not wavered from that cold New Year's Day to the present hot June in which I struggle with my seventh VI novel. I have had some years of terrible pain and disability in between. Courtney has held me. So there's this interesting narrative she's framing right from the beginning. And it's a narrative of two things that I really like. It brings the question of gender to the fore in her as a writer, right away. That that story does need to be told. And it's not a story that's going to be cured by, oh, you're the love of my life. But there's another story of dispelling the myth of the writer. She talks about how this one teacher got her to publish this book, who worked with her. 
She also suggests that writing and publishing is actually an effort that contains many people. People to help you, help you edit, people to encourage you, people to make you think that what you have to say is valuable and worth writing. And what I really loved about Paretsky's introduction here is it was very human. We haven't had this kind of human interface with people like Hemingway, they're like godheads, right? And Paretsky, what I loved about this intro, at least to this version, is just seemed very human about her telling you what it took for her to get this novel published and to become a novelist. And to become a novelist as a woman in a hard-boiled genre that had been kind of dominated by men. We read Patricia Highsmith, but she's the only one thus far who's really kind of even started to write. Not that women haven't played a crucial role in all these novels. They have. The Femme Fatale and the question of that we've dealt with Mildred Pierce. But it's interesting. We're at a new moment now, right? A new moment in the evolution of the noir. And who's the detective? A woman. And there's a really beautiful the way she sets it up. And Lauren, you mentioned this gorgeously in your <coughs> comment and post about it. It takes a while to realize that this detective is a woman. That's right? what uh, she's talking about in her 30th edition. She's talking about making her character. She's talking about how uh, each woman character she would read would make her feel more uncomfortable. More specifically, I was more uncomfortable with the way women's sexuality dictated their ability to act or to have good moral judgment. And then over here, she's like, uh, Effie and Carmen Sternwood and the, all the rest of them made me want to create a woman private eye. One would turn the tables on all these distorted versions of women's lives. The P.I. I imagined would indeed have a sex life, and her sex out sexuality would not have anything to do with whether or not she was a moral person. Sex would not stop her from being able to solve problems either. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing because, look, she's writing that, and that's a great point that brings up about sex and morality, right? How many of you follow, you know, the slasher films of the 70s and 80s, right? Halloween, Friday the 13th, right? You fans of those? How does that play out? Scream did a great kind of play on this whole thing. Like, what basically happens? You can map those films pretty easily. Teenagers have sex, and Mike Meyer finds them. He kills usually the woman, right? And it's the woman has the sex. Woman goes first. The woman goes first. Yeah, usually the guy comes as Except well. Except for Jamie Lee Curtis. She makes it She's a all the way. Yeah. She She's is. blue steel. So, but that's, I mean, there's a narrative there. And that moral narrative, think about how Paretsky at this moment in the 80s, when that kind of slasher narrative and kind of moral vision of if you're not a virgin, you're basically amoral or immoral and need to be killed, right, by this kind of insane killer. You have Paretsky completely, I think, dealing with that, you know upending it in some beautiful ways. So I like that. That's a great introduction. I haven't read that yet, so we will. All right. So Paul Bond, remember that name? Who? who? Don't say who. He mentioned the first line. Who wants to read the first line? In chapter one, page one, summertime. And I like the little gun icon in my book. I don't have that. It's awesome. Makes me feel very hard boiled. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Who wants to read just the first line? Thank you, Sarah. Mm. The night air was thick and damp. Bam. Right? I mean, it's a simple first line, but embeds us immediately in the tradition, as Paul Bond notes, of the noir, of the detective of Hard Boiled. Bam. Right? But there's so many distinct and, I think, brilliant changes between all what we read in the 40s, 50s, and 60s and this one. And we'll look at them somewhat closely. Where does this book take place? 
Chicago. Now let's go to page two. And this, I, I just, every time I read this book, I'm struck by some of the details about how much it places it in its time and place. And I said we need to do a, a post about context for the late 70s, early 80s. Definitely, I want this. Here's one. Um, this is the first full chapter on page two. Who wants to read this? Good. Yeah. <clears throat> I pushed the elevator button. Okay, you know, I think me and you have different versions. So, this is the one that starts, this guy was coming at 9.15. See that? Where is it? Where is it in yours? It's at the bottom of the page. Yeah, I'll read the first. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This guy was coming at 9.15, which didn't even give me time to eat. I'd spent a frustrating afternoon in the ozone-laden heat trying to track down a printer who owed me $1,500. I'd saved his firm from being muscled out by a national chain last spring, and now I was sorry I'd done it. If my checking account hadn't been so damned anemic, I'd have ignored his, this phone call. As it was, I squared my shoulders and unlocked the door. Awesome. Anything strike you about this one? Am I the only one? Yeah. What? She has 50. I, well, I was kind of confused at this point as to whether or not she was a he or a she. And yeah. so, but saying like I squared my shoulders, that's like a really like kind of masculine I love that, yeah. Thing. And that she was broke, which puts her very much in a tradition. Um, Murder My Sweet, anyone seen that noir? Very similar scene, the office. You know, the description of her office and her office building is very much beautifully in the noir. These kind of run down, small, private investigator offices. Anyone ever see Shaft? The original Shaft, 71? Brilliant, just like this office. Anyone ever see Chinatown? Chinatown has a lot in common, that film, with this. Particularly, someone comes to her with the false name and the false identity. Same thing happens in Chinatown. Um, but this kind of classic setup of the office. But what about this? I've saved his firm from being muscled out by a national chain last spring, and now I was sorry I'd done. Let's strike anyone else. It's just like roll over the shoulder. Yeah, but like talking about like small independent businesses and national chains, right? That's a particular problem that we're still facing, like Target, right? McDonald's, like the emergence of the chain in the 50s and 60s. And I thought it was so fascinating that as a private investigator, what was she doing? Giving someone money. <coughs> well, she was basically doing industrial inv investigation, right? She's not a private eye seeing if someone cheated on someone else, well, following someone. She's a private eye who's working for corporations. She's a private eye who's working for businesses, right? And I love this idea. It kind of reminded me of the the box store set up in Central Park. Like, I saved some independent business owner from Target. It's like so bizarre. Like, this is really puts us in a different time and place. You know, you wouldn't do this in the 30s. Hemingway wouldn't be writing about this. James M. Cain wouldn't be writing about this in the same way. So let's go down. And this is one of my favorites, too. The paragraph after that starting, I hadn't been in for several days. It's two paragraphs later. Tell me continue. Anyone? Yeah, Barash. Um, I had been I hadn't been in for several days and had a stack of bills and circulars to uh, sort through. The computer firm wanted to arrange a demonstration of what computers could do to help my business. I, w I wondered if a nice little desktop IBM could find me paying customers. Okay, I have a particular fetish for computers, but IBM. IBM. Uh, the one that was dominant back then in the eighties. Yeah, and you know. Desktop computers were really just emerging. 
This is probably a $5,000 piece of equipment. It's probably a monster. And she can't even imagine in the book, I bless you, what she could do with it. Like, I just love it. Like, it's just an idea of a computer. Right? There's no real con connection to the story, but it's just mention it. Like, by mentioning a computer, immediately you put it again, right at this moment. I mean, computers have a very particular history. Talk about an IBM desktop computer, it puts you in the late 70s, early 80s without question. Right? Macs don't really emerge till 84. So you have this kind of very interesting moment in history. And it's not necessarily a very insightful look at computers, but just a fascinating that it's even mentioned. Right? Page four for me. And if you guys have a different book, it's the, it's the thing that starts the tenants in this building. See that? Anyone else? You got it? Who wants to read the tenants in this building? Okay, Connor, thank you. And you're close to the microphone, so it works out perfectly. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> the tenants in this building are physical fitness nuts. We agreed to get rid of the elevator. Climbing stairs is well known as a precaution against heart attacks. Good. <clears throat> a couple of things here. What does it tell us about uh, Warshawski? She's a smart ass. She's a smart ass. She's great. I mean, she is. She's a total smart ass. Mm -hmm. She's great part of that tradition, right? She dishes it. But other thing is like... The context of this. What is she saying? Like, what is the content? What is she saying? I feel like she's calling him fat. Or stupid. Well, for me, maybe it's one or the other. But I think it's like, who? Whenever have we read about physical exercise or worrying about heart attacks in any of the books we've read so far? Have we? No. I mean, we this. Know that continental alpha is overweight, actually, in my shape. He was overweight, but no one was saying, you know, you should really run the stairs and get your heart in shape. It's going to keep you long. It's almost like, you know our obsession, all of you, going to the gym? I see it on Sarah's Twitter. I'm going to the gym. I have to go to the gym. The idea of the gym, that's kind of a pretty con that's a common but pretty recent development culturally. This idea of us that we're going to somehow escape death by staying in shape. And I love it that Peretzky's talking about this all the time. She goes out for a run, a five-mile run. What other private investigator in the hard-boiled traditions going out for a five-mile run around Lake Michigan? I, I mean, for me, these small details, it's all in, like someone said to me earlier, the deets, or details. Has anyone ever used that, deets? It's kind of like merp, what was it? Meep. Meep, but what was the other one, derp? Derp. Um, those but aren't abreeves, though. Those are just... Yeah. Abreeves? I, 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 okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Those aren't abreeves. Look, I'm just trying to keep up with the, the parlance of our times, to quote the Big Lebowski. The but Tyler Perry. For real. Big fan. <laughs> but think about it. Just with me, in the first five or ten pages of this book, there were so many things that dated this. Outside of, I think, any context. Times... You know, depending, I mean, you do have things that date it. But Heim seemed not nearly as specific in the detail. You know, this read for me a lot more like the kind of detail Stephen King brings to his narratives. You know what I mean? And I was very fascinated by, you know, the way in which she develops out that identity. Um, okay, and then so we'll go to the point where we finally figure out, uh, I thought, 
whether she's, you know, well, it's clear on page five. This is when Thayer's coming to her to find out about his son. And what does he say? Well, it's about my son. That's it. It's about this girlfriend. At least she's the one who he stopped. A lot of people, especially men, aren't used to sharing their problems, and it takes them a while to get going. And that's her giving her kind of psychological reading of him. You know, I don't mean any offense, but I'm not sure I should talk to you after all. Not unless you've got a partner or something. Why is he saying this? She's a woman. She doesn't, doesn't think she should get the job. She doesn't have the muscle, maybe, to take care of the job, right? And this comes up again and again, right, um, throughout the book. And, you know, Presky's obviously um, engaging this as part of it. I mean, it's going to be a hard sell to sell a hard-boiled detective as a woman, even as recently as the late 70s, early 80s. You know, to say that just like racism hasn't died since the 60s in that book, either is this idea of, you know, gender discrimination. Because it's not gone away. With some of our predispositions. I think in that regard, this book is probably pretty interesting. Let's go to page six. And this is awesome. This is one of my favorite lines. And I'm not even out of page ten yet. I th everything. We have 15 minutes. <laughs> we, I can't, we have 30 minutes. Okay. So, I'm at the, the page, on page six, I wish it was. You see that? I wish it was. The thing is now, Pete's saying, I bought her off, paid her to disappear, and he's threatening to change his name and drop out of sight unless she turns up. So what's this whole thing with Pete and Anita? I think Anita's trying to uh, make them join labor uh, unions or support them. Yeah, so what's Anita's history? What do we know about Anita? She's a protester. She's the daughter of? Who? McGraw. McGraw? And who's McGraw? Uh, the labor union. What labor union? Something, uh, some knife. The knife, knife sharpeners. Lay, did everyone look that up? Is that a real labor union? Anyone look that up? Excuse me? <laughs> Bueller? Look that up. Is that a real labor union? The knife sharpeners? Do you guys remember when knife sharpeners used to drive around neighborhoods in a truck? No. Okay, <laughs> Long Island, <laughs> 70s and 80s, knife sharpeners used to come by in a truck. And they used to ring a bell, and it was almost like the, the ice cream truck. But it was for knives. <laughs> and so people would come out of the house and say, shop and knife. Like when all and those it, stick things? And, and they would shop. They would have, like, they had a whole full, it was like, a, it was like an ice cream truck. And they would full-blown shop in your knives right in the street. And so the fact that there was a knife sharpener's labor union? I can't find that. Yeah. I, I think that's a gag. But before we do, we have to do research, right, Jesse? Because that's how we roll. There's Google. not. Don't Google. Anyway, so Anita, daughter of McGraw, who's the head of the Knife Sharpeners Labor Union, to be researched. Who's Pete? His son. Or no, um. John Thayer's son. John Thayer. So it's Pete Thayer, John Thayer's son. Who is John Thayer? Rich. Um, <laughs> Rich. Good. What else do we know about Rich John Thayer? He's a banker. Big banker, right? So immediately we have a tension set up. Anita, daughter of labor union guy, Pete, son of banking, capitalist guy. Pete and Anita are sharing the same room. They're intimately involved. And Anita has Pete doing what? Joining in on. Joining in on. Union protests. There couldn't be anything worse that he could do, right? 
Do you guys do that as college students? No. We're going to talk about the University of Chicago vision of the college student in the late 70s and 80s and the 2012 vision of Mary Washington students that I have. But we're not there yet. Anyway, I'm a big fan. Don't get me wrong. Now I've ever heard everything I thought, right? I have hired to find a person so her boyfriend would go to business school. Think about that for a second. She's being hired for what? Hired to find a person so her boyfriend would go to business school. It's crazy. Like, there couldn't be anything more contemporary. You're hiring a private investigation so that your son or daughter will go to business school. I mean, business school, right, was an afterthought. Now everyone majors in business because somehow they think like business is going to be useful to them as a liberal art degree, which, you know, the verdict's out on. <laughs> but, I mean, we've kind of come into this culture where we think of business, right? And this is like post-80s. Like in the 60s and 70s, if you told people you want a university of a business, they'd be like, uh, why don't you just go into business? <laughs> why don't you start a business? Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe on-the-job training. Economics have gotten us nowhere, you know, 2008, remember that? So there's this kind of fascinating moment here where we're starting to see our moment reflected in us. We had something very different. Hemingway, Hammett, um, Kane, etc. You know, we were seeing the Depression. We were seeing, you know, Prohibition. We were seeing World War II. Here we're seeing people going to business school, right? Seeing like rich kids at University of Chicago who are dirty hippies but really come from trust funds, right? They're kind of interesting, kind of updating us. Go check your watch, Michael. Insults me. <laughs> okay. Anyway. I'm not even watch. Okay. Some of those. Thanks, okay. Julian. So, now. Let's go to page eight and nine. This is at the end of chapter one, right? And then we'll do a little jump. Who wants to read uh, starting, it's that second to last paragraph of the chapter. It starts, the chapter starts, he got up to go and I walked out with him. But I want to start reading, I would have said, it's in the middle of that chapter, you see that, that page, paragraph? Who wants to read that? Brenna, thank you. I would have said not what, not what I would have thought of as second-in-command at the Fort Dearborn. His suit was expensive and well-cut, but he looked more as if he stepped from an Edward G. Robinson movie than the nation's eighth-largest bank. But then, did I look like a detective? Come to think of it, most people don't try to guess what women do for a living by the way they look, but they are usually astounded to find out what I do. Good. A couple of things there. Also the assumption, right? Questions of gender, right? Mm -hmm. What about that other comment before then? Edward G. Robinson. You've ex you've just, you've experienced him in this class. Who's Edward G. Robinson? Is he like a hard-boiled actor? He's a hard-boiled actor. He was in a movie. Miller's Crossing. Not Miller's Crossing. Double Indemnity. Double Indemnity. He was the one who has a little man inside. <laughs> That's Edward G. Robinson. He's got the. He's like a classic of not only the crime novels of the twenties and thirties. He's got the the cigar. It's like, you listen here, Walter. I've never let one of these, you know, they're all stupid. You know, he's awesome. He's one of the best characters. She's quoting him. It's all right? connected. 
It's all connected. Exactly. I can do that, but I think that's growing thin with many of you, like my hair. So <laughs> the thing is, seriously though, think about it. She's bringing Edward G. Robinson into the narrative. She's bringing that tradition into the narrative. She says it in a little bit after that. Philip Marlowe, right? Philip Marlowe is the famous detective of Chandler's novels, right? So she has this whole idea of the genre of hard-boiled and of noir very much in her mind as she's writing it. And she's not afraid as a writer to share it with you. I find it really kind of very playful and fun as a writer for her to keep doing it. So, anyway, big point on that. Chapter 10. Chapter 2. <laughs> chapter 2. Why don't you read the first paragraph of Chapter 2? This is Sabrina. Sabrina, thank you. Chapter 2. I'm sorry, cousin. Alright. <laughs> I woke up early to a day that promised to be as hot and steamy as the one before. Four days out of seven, I tried to force myself to get some ex kind of exercise. I missed the previous two days, hoping that the heat would break, but I knew I'd better get out of this morning. When 30, it, when 30 is a fond memory, the more days that pass without exercise, the worse you feel going back to it. Then, too, I'm undisciplined in a way that makes it easier to exercise than to diet, and the running helps keep my weight down. It doesn't mean I love it, though, especially on a morning like this. I just, as part of a hard-boiled detective novel, what do you make of this paragraph? She seems a, like a human. Yeah, I mean, she seems like a human, and she also seems like, like this whole idea, I'm going to go out and run for exercise, to stay in shape, and also so I can eat certain things, right? I mean, these details I really find, like, you know, these are things that have preoccupied us since. Think about what's one of the big movies of the 80s that kind of came out in the 90s. It's like American Psycho. Mm -hmm. You see American Psycho yeah. with uh, Christian Bale? Yeah. That obsession in the 80s with the surface, with how you look, right? Christian Bale is caught in that, right? He's perfect. And there's this kind of obsession with how you look and how you feel. And that's an obsession, I think, as a culture, we still very much carry with us, right? And I'm wondering, like, I'm very interested culturally, when did we as a culture start becoming so obsessed with exercise? Yes? Um, uh, last Monday, I was actually a receptionist for this uh, hypnosis to lose weight, and he said, like, in opening, he said that America is, like, 20 pounds heavier than, like, the people are on average 20 pounds heavier than they were, like, 30 years ago, and so I kind of feel like this is around the time period where, like, obesity became a big deal, and, like, being, like, concerned with children's health became a big deal, and stuff like that. It's interesting, and I'm very interested in that, like, when does that as a cultural moment start to emerge? Because I think it's always been here. I think you're right, to some degree, but there is really, like, the emergence of the gym. Like, when did the gym is a kind of a popular thing where you have American fitness where you can go like a target, right? The 80s. Right? The 80s, probably. Around the 80s, and that would be my era, right? And it's also the explosion of um, junk food. It's also the explosion of, you know, fast food. fast food. You know, it happens earlier, but you really start to have the explosion of the thing. So it's interesting that, you know, the 70s and 80s understood as a lot of things, but one of them is like, you really start to see culture as a kind of commodity, right? Like Saturday morning cartoons. Did you guys have that tradition? You woke yes. up on Saturday morning? Like that's a tradition that came from, in many ways, the late 70s and 80s. 
And one of the really insidious things about Saturday morning cartoons on Saturday were what? The way in which they marketed to kids. The way in which you sat inside of a tube for four hours and they basically told you what you want to buy. And, you know, I don't think that media is so unidirectional or unilateral that when someone tells you to do something, you just blindly like a zombie go in to do it. I think we have agency. I think when you start shaping a kid's mind around this idea of toys and things they need, and you do it pretty creatively, you start to sell your message, right? And so the 80s is interesting, a moment where we're consumed with how we look, consumed with health, also consumed with corporate America. I mean, the two titans we're putting up against each other in this book from the beginning are labor and corporate big business, and with a third kind of triangulation of insurance companies. You know, this is very much an interesting kind of commentary on its moment, like every book we've read up and until now. So, the other thing is, page 11. What kind of book, I mean, what kind of car, this is awesome. What kind of car does Warshawski drive? Does anyone know? Anyone remember? Page 11. Chevy Monza. Chevy Monza. Does, has anyone ever seen or heard of a Chevy Monza? Mm -hmm. Well, Wikipedia will take care of that for you. Doesn't she say like pretty much everyone does? They look like the Novas. Yeah, they're crazy. Look at that. This is a Chevy Monza. That's a weird-looking car. That is kind of like Detroit when it's losing all of its kind of, a little bit of its sass, right? You know, Detroit is car making. And she's driving around a detective in a Chevy Monza. Look at this car. I just think it's a fa it's car only made for five years, discontinued. Probably in that regard, it's pretty rare, I imagine. I don't see too many on the road at all anymore. And I have seen them once I found out. I looked at it and when I read that, I was like, what the hell is a Chevy Monza? And I started looking at it, and this is pretty. I'd love to have this Chevy Monza station wagon. Two-door yeah. station wagon. That's pretty rad right there. But anyway, just the moment of the car. A very particular car for a detective, a Monza, but also a very particular moment. Monza was only made for five years. Actually, it's discontinued 1980. Anyway. These bits of cultural detail that she pulls in, it's part of why I started to think that we're starting to think a very different voice. And I think as Lauren has mentioned in her, her post, a very compelling one, right? What do we know about her father? Uh, policeman. Policeman. What do we know about her lineage? What's her lineage? She's Polish. She's Italian and Polish, right? Mm -hmm. So there's interesting, right? You've got these kind of immigrants, right? You know, pretty much early 20th century immigrants probably. You have the Poles, you have the Irish, you have the Italians, kind of the conventional immigrants, right, that you had in the early 20th century. You had the Jews, right? So you had these whole groups of people and you're starting to see, you know, she's part of that and her last name gives it away, right? Why couldn't her father get ahead in Chicago police force? Because he, he was Polish, right? And what, what's the preferred ethnicity? Irish. Irish, right? Those shanty Irish, all they want to do is police everybody. Anyway, it's a joke. But, yeah, I mean, there's this kind of still, these old holdover ethnic kind of visions of, you know, the police officer, you know, the Polak, etc. You know, I mean, when we were, does anyone tell Polak jokes anymore? No. Yeah, it's just, it doesn't happen. It was a huge thing when I was in elementary school. Mm -hmm. People, don't put your backpack on. <laughs> 
People would tell Polak jokes. It's bizarre. All right. So on Thursday, as Jesse is being so rudely to point out, um, we will actually talk more and finish up on Indemnity Only. Keep working on your research for your Wikipedia articles, and we will pick up this discussion. Also, blogs. I want you to blog about some kind of cultural context for the late 70s and 80s based on the book. Find something in the book that she mentions that you don't know about and you want to blog about, like the knife sharpeners. But also start thinking about the question of labor unions and big business and how that plays out not only in the book, but Paul Bond also mentioned about the deregulation that went on under Reagan, right? And how did politics change in the 80s? How did deregulation inform the 80s and the late 70s? I mean, there's a lot there to think about, okay? All right, thank you all. It was fun. That's DS106 Radio. We are signing out of Hard Boiled. It is November 13th. It is. 2012, approximate time, Connor? 7.16. 7.16 p.m. That's when time should get out. On Eastern Daylight Time. Hey, Jesse. <laughs>